god, Jackie, I'm so sick. I think I have laryngitis right now, like, again. again? <laughs> I got laryngitis last year in November, too, and now I think I have it again because of powder puff practice on Thursday. Oh my god, we have practice so tomorrow sick. again. And I, really, practice. I have practice again, and I gotta record my podcast sounding like I'm going through puberty and everything. <laughs> I sound like a pre prepubescent boy, like... <laughs> That's so sad. And then today, whenever I went to Miss Rody's class and I told her, I was like, I told her about how we needed the mic to take home. And then, you know, of course, she heard how I was speaking. Mm-hmm. And so she told me when I was leaving that I need to drink some tea so I can feel better and everything. You don't even like tea. I don't even like tea, but it was so nice of her to do that. <laughs> it was so nice. Which is something that, I mean, I guess we're good. We're privileged or whatever. <laughs> Because at other schools, you probably wouldn't get that. No. I mean, if we're being honest. She would have just made fun of me for how I was talking, maybe, like. (laughs) But she offered, she gave you advice. It's because the teachers here, you know, they care about us. But, like, at schools, like, the regular schools, like North Dallas, sometimes Sunset, you know. Kimball. The the teachers, they don't care about those kids. Mm -hmm. They don't. They just show up and like, they do their job yeah, and they get paid know, for twenty clock out. Yeah, you know, yeah. <clears throat> that's wild. Anyway, hi everyone, it's Cecilia and Jackie. Welcome back to the Let's Talk About Social Justice podcast. It's season one, episode nineteen, titled "Education: Opening the Doors to Opportunity." Our topic today is the opportunity gap and how it affects students that are, are children of Hispanic immigrants. So let's go ahead and dive in. We'll start with Jackie, who is going to give her own insight into the opportunity gap. Hello, this is Jackie. Um, To start off, I want to tell my personal story and what it is to be a daughter of immigrant parents. My parents didn't complete high school um, when they were younger. So now that I'm in high school, it is somewhat difficult for them to understand, like, my stress and what I go through. Um, however, I am grateful that I attend to Irma Rangel because although I think that I have it difficult sometimes, I realize that I have some type of support thanks, thanks to the school, while other students in other communities don't have support neither at home nor at school, which leads them to be um, victims of opportunity gap. Yeah, speaking of Rangel, I feel like it's one of those things, like Jackie said, how there are students who are in the same boat, like they... They're also children of immigrants or they're immigrants themselves, yet it's not the same situation as, you know, students in other schools because those students, they don't have necessarily any type of support. But here, you know, we have the support of our own friends, our teachers, our our counselors, everything like that, and maybe even their parents because, you know, if their parents put them in a school like this and you can see that their parents have some type of value for them to have a good education rather than just sending them to their homeschool. Okay, guys, so speaking of the opportunity gap, let me give everyone a summary of what this actually is. The opportunity gap refers to the ways in which race, ethnicity, socioeconomic status, English proficiency, community wealth, familial situations, or other factors contribute to or perpetuate lower educational aspirations, achievement, and attainment for student groups of students. So, For this um, podcast episode, we're going to be talking about how it relates to students who are children of immigrants, specifically Hispanic students. So 
getting into that, we can see how things such as um, citizenship status can affect um, their educational aspirations because whether you are a citizen or not of the United States, that really affects the opportunities in which you can qualify for because a lot of like scholarships and other opportunities like that require for students to be citizens of the United States. Also going into um, income of the students' households, we can see that like students from lower income households may not have the financial resources that give students from higher income households an advantage when it comes to performing well in school or scoring on standardized tests and having the aspiration to succeed in college. That also follows having poor health, poor nutrition, health problems resulting from lack of health care or the inability to pay for preschool education, tutoring, test preparation services, and or exam, um, college tuition. Okay, so we see that particularly the Hispanic students that are children of immigrants are the ones that experience the consequences of the opportunity gap more frequently than others. As a minority, they are subjected to the bias that denies them equal access to learning opportunities. Other aspects of their lives besides the color of their skin can, can contribute to this. Their access to educational opportunities is also limited when courses are specifically taught in English as they are more likely to be raised in a Spanish in an only a Spanish-speaking household. To talk more about this, we have Eva Reguin, who is a representative from Big Thought and nonprofit organization Dallas that aims to help all young people maximize their potential in a 21st century world. Their programs offer pathways to build skills relevant for thriving in the work today and in the future. Hi, Eva. Thank you for taking your time to talk to me today. Thank you for contacting me. I'm looking forward to this conversation. Thank you. Um, so today, um, our podcast is going to cover opportunity gap and how students, how students that are children of Hispanic immigrant parents, how mm -hmm. they're affected. Great topic. Like for me, for like me, for example, I have immigrant parents. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. So could you tell us about your background and if there's anything pertaining to the opportunity gap? So I actually, um, and I think a lot of us who have parents who are undocumented have a lot of similar similarities mm -hmm. because we don't realize often um, how many opportunities we don't have. Mm -hmm. So I have to start by saying that I was, Uh, a little bit more privileged in that by the time I was growing up, both of my parents who had um, immigrated from Mexico had already uh, gotten their citizenship by the time I was a uh, child in school. Oh. Um, but I had three older sisters. And so even when you have that, there's a lot of different things that having that background kind of makes a little bit difficult for you. Mm -hmm. um, I know most of the kids of immigrants I know and undocumented people I know or young people I know, um, they, they often kind of have to live to make their parents proud in a lot of cases. Mm -hmm. So a lot of times it feels like extra amount of pressure 
There's also a wealth gap that often happens unless their family already had wealth um, before coming. But in a lot of circumstances, um, a lot of our parents that leave their home countries leave with not much in their hand. Mm -hmm. So they're restarting their life here in America, in our case in Texas, um, and they're having to basically start from scratch, right? And so they're leaving their native country, they don't speak the language here, and then they're having to completely adapt to this foreign place, really, most times, in order to create a new, better life, right? Mm -hmm. Um, That's usually the main reason why, is because back at home, they don't have the same opportunities, there might not be work, um, and they want to be able to create a life for themselves. So just having all that pressure in general, um, and if your parents... um, you know, both come from similar backgrounds. It, it Sometimes they come together married or they get married here or they find each other here like my parents did. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's definitely still a lot of different circumstances because um, I'm not sure if you all know, but Dallas is actually um, one of the, I believe, the top city to deport people. Mm-hmm. Um, really heartbreaking, which tells me that even though I think recently the city has decided to put a little more effort behind helping our undocumented people. I don't think they're doing enough if statistically a lot of the cases are still, um, you know, a lot of the deportations are happening out of our city. So to think of modern circumstances um, as well makes things a little more difficult, right? Because if you take someone's parents away, where does that leave the child? Um, so there's so many different circumstances also based on, um, obviously, language barrier, wealth barrier, um, gender barrier in some cases. Mm-hmm. I grew up with a single parent. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, she had her citizenship. There was still a lot of that pressure on uh, me as a young person, on my sisters as, as young people to really try to fulfill our parents' dreams. So it just becomes a lot of pressure. So a lot of us also carry, which a lot of the work I do at my organization, Big Thought, um, is kind of trauma-informed care, and mm-hmm. we talk a lot about social and emotional learning, so we work with a lot of different youth throughout the district. Mm-hmm. Um, we're able to kind of help navigate these students' lives um, through the lens of knowing what it's like and understanding what it's like to go through a lot of trauma. Um, So also, with having these backgrounds, we often have a lot of trauma we don't even realize because it actually runs even through us, like physically, without our recognition. So we often also have mental health issues that we don't maybe recognize until later on in life. Mm -hmm. You mentioned Big Thought. Um, Did your background Mm -hmm. lead um, to work with Big Thought? It kind of did, actually. So I personally, um, and I know I covered a lot of different things. So I, like I said, I was the youngest of four, so I definitely had a lot more opportunities, um, perhaps, than some of my siblings did. Mm-hmm. However, I still carried a lot of the pressure and the weight because um, there was always a lot of things happening in my family, um, a lot of different um, family drama happening, a lot of, you know, things that would occur due to circumstances um, that they maybe didn't realize like the opportunity gap, right? Uh Because they're trying so hard to survive, they don't really realize what's going on. And because um, I I like to say America or the United States in general specifically um, kind of had been pretending to be a melting pot for a really long time, but in reality... 
now we can see, especially with the leadership we have um, and, and, and what's happening at the border and all these different circumstances um, and throughout the nation, even even in the black community and different and, and the LGBTQ community, all these different communities are kind of under attack. So um, I actually was working um, with the Oak Cliff Cultural Center, which is a department of the city, uh, which is, it was with the Office of Cultural Affairs. I believe that name has changed. Mm-hmm. And I was doing some work with them. I had done some work locally with Caramia Theater, the local Latino theater company. Mm-hmm. Um, and in school, I had just graduated from the University of North Texas with a um, minor in Mexican-American studies mm-hmm. and a major in um, radio TV film. Mm-hmm. So I had a lot of different experience with creativity, with creating, um, but also in my own personal experience um, at the University of North Texas, I actually discovered I had both anxiety and depression, Mm -hmm. um, and I didn't really learn about that until I was a sophomore in college, and so I kind of had a little bit of a breakdown, and I share this Mm -hmm. because a lot of people kind of see me as a very strong, prominent figure, and I have to be very honest in saying that I do battle with my mental health. So throughout that summer, I learned a lot about my mental health, about meditation, about mindfulness, Mm -hmm. um, and about trauma in general. And through my experience, I gained that knowledge, and I was able to carry that into my work, um, which, like I said, after the University of North Texas, I started working with the Oakland Cultural Center, mm-hmm. as well as Sanamia Theater, which is where I worked the um, School of Yes summer camp they have. Mm-hmm. And then from there, through that experience, I, it actually led me to Big Thought, where I started as um, a social and emotional learning coordinator, um, which was really focused on helping young people with... Um, social emotional learning and mindfulness and self-awareness and responsibility and a lot a lot of things that you can kind of do for yourself as young people who are impacted by the opportunity gap without necessarily realizing it um how do you see the opportunity gap here compared to like if you would work for example if you were to compare it to grand prairie like how would you see so they're actually pretty similar to be honest Mm -hmm. i can't compare it too much because Grand Prairie, if you go down Jefferson, Oak Cliff becomes Grand Prairie. Okay. <laughs> so Oak Cliff is part of Dallas as a city in general. Mm-hmm. So for a long time, Oak Cliff was really ignored, right? Yeah. And they don't have a lot of resources. And so now, more recently, in the last few years, it's actually been really gentrified. Yeah. So the properties started going up. So it actually made housing really, really unaffordable. Mm-hmm. And so they started raising the prices. And people started trying to buy out all the houses and kind of scamming some people too, right? Yes. So all of that was a really major issue and still is currently here, is that they kind of almost, um, they gentrified it and pushed a lot of the brown and black people that were here out um, and kind of pushed them away. And so that's the most evident thing I think you'll see here in Oak Cliff specifically. However, there's every single thing you can think of, I would say, it's still an issue. I know for myself, I still consider it um, like a food desert because mm-hmm. there's not a lot of groceries, healthy um, markets available to us, right? No. Um, there's not a huge access to great grocery stores as well. And so if we don't have access to healthy food, um, 
then then what are we consuming, right? Yes. And a lot of it is cultural, which is great and beautiful as well. But I'm like, why don't we have any of the chipotles or stuff like that here? A lot of the schooling as well, I would say, is overlooked. A lot of them don't get as much funding mm-hmm. um, as the North Dallas part. Yes, um, I know with some of the campuses I work with, you can definitely tell the difference in the amount of funds they get or just the support they get in general because they still often are great at sports and have um, great test scores as well, but because they're in the hood, Mm -hmm. quote-unquote, they don't see as much love, Um, and they just get seen for the fight or whatever bad things happen in those neighborhoods. Um, So with that said, it's a little bit like more South Dallas-focused, but also South Oak Cliff because they're right next to each other. Recently, because of the high crime rate we've had here in Dallas, they've actually also been over-policing, right? Yes. So for a lot of people within our communities, police don't necessarily make people feel safe. Um, and they're actually kind of scary to be around, right? Especially yes. if you're undocumented as well, because they can often be working with um, immigration and customs, um, which is terrifying for people right Mm -hmm. so they've also been over policing the area as well which is you again don't see that happening in north dallas or in the richer neighborhoods in dallas thank you so much for your time of course in oak cliff hispanics make up 69.3 percent of the total population Certain parts are considered to be poor areas, and that is where most of the Hispanics are seen to be living. These students originate from lower-income households, thus not having the opportunity to perform well in school due to a lack of financial resources. These students are located in economically disadvantaged schools and communities that may suffer from less effective teaching, overcrowded schools, and dilapidated facilities and inadequate educational resources, programs, and opportunities, all of which can contribute to lower educational performances or attainment. It's crazy to think that, like, we live in Oak Cliff and, I know. <laughs> and, like, the percentage is that high. Like, I had never actually thought about it. About how, like, well, I mean, it makes sense. But also, like, you go to certain parts of Oak Cliff and you can see where the wealth lies. Yes. Like, in Bishop Arts. But then you go more towards, like, West South Oak Cliff. Atlas, South Oak Cliff, where I live in South Oak Cliff. Um, you go more towards... I guess, yeah, South Oak Cliff, you go more towards West Dallas, kind of where, like, Pinkston is and stuff, and you can see how, like, I guess our district and maybe even our city isn't investing money into those communities because they don't see the potential that lies within those communities and how between all those Hispanic students in there, just because they're brown, they don't think they have potential and Mm -hmm. stuff like that. When in reality, they have the brightest minds and they have the best ideas and they could they have the potential and the capability to change the world. Yeah. The purpose of our podcast was to help bring awareness of what what was what has been going on for a while, mainly focusing in the Dallas Independent School District. It has come to my partner and I I's attention that people in our neighborhood who share our same backgrounds face opportunity gap. We ask our audience to take this information and share it. We also ask them to donate to organizations that work with this issue, for example, Big Thought. Hey, thank you to everyone for listening to Opening Doors to Opportunity. 
This episode was produced by me, Cecilia Adame. And me, Jackie Leva. Also, a special thanks to Eva Arreguin for taking her time and answering our questions, as well as broadening our understanding on opportunity gaps. Everybody, stay tuned for the next episode of the Let's Talk Social Justice podcast, episode 20, the degradation of the foster care system. What is really happening?